Yo, 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 Thought Warriors. What is up? Higher Learning is on. It is I, Van Lathan Jr. And it's me, Rachel and Lindsay. Rachel, how was your week? Um, it's funny. I knew you were going to ask me that. And I was thinking about that earlier. I'm like, what did I do this weekend? Um, it was good. Why is it you could never remember what you did during the weekend? Oh, okay. Friday. Um, I went to work and I think I've talked about this before in the podcast, but the dogs are giving me hell. Every month, it's either copper or brownie, copper or brownie. Poor copper hasn't been able to tr- control his bowels for three days. Mm-hmm. And I come home and just completely destroyed the house. Mm-hmm. Poor guy. Can't be mad. He's sick. Finally took him to the vet. All the tests came back normal, but He's dehydrated, obviously. So got him checked out, got some meds. He was fine. Went to dinner with um, some of Ryan's friends, but one of their friends came. The chat? The the thread. And no, (laughs) no, 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 no. This is a friend that he met here, a doctor. Doctor, shout out to Dr. Sandra and his wife, Cindy. They're expecting. Um, And then he met his other friend, Art. But... Their, um, their, their, um, art's black. I feel like the way, what? The, the way what? he said it, I had to, I feel art. like I had to say it. That's the way he said it. I'm sure it's, anyways, um, one of their friends was in town for the baby shower and turns out she was my sister's friend at Spelman. And I remember her because 15, you know, like I'm all wide eyed and everybody is just so impressive to me. I mean, she still really is. But anyways, yeah. met, saw her again, met her husband. That was cool. Went to their baby shower on Saturday and really just chilled. Yes, I did the Oscars, but not like I normally do. I wasn't on the carpet with arrivals. I did a fashion recap after it was over. The fashion recap after it was over. So you weren't on the carpet with the arrivals. Uh, I was on the carpet after everybody left and they were packing up. And they were packing up. Why did things, why did it change? Why, why weren't you on the carpet? I don't know, Van. You don't, you don't know. Uh, I don't know, Van. Guess okay. they wanted to change it up this year. We'll leave it there. <laughs> uh, <laughs> um, what did you do this weekend? Uh, not a particularly good weekend. For me. I'm sorry. Yeah. Uh, David Ellis, who is my uncle, my mother's brother, he died on oh. Saturday. My mother's, uh, oh, one of my mother's brothers, um, well, my two brothers, my uncle David, my uncle Hal. Uh, uncle David had had cancer and he passed away. And it was, uh, it, it's, it's interesting. He he taught me how to swim, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and him and I had spoken a couple of times since he had been sick. He had gone to hospice care, and it, the way he was talking and the way that uh, some of the conversation was going, I don't know why I felt like he was going to be okay. Um, but if I would really been thinking about it, my my mother and my grandmother were spending an increasing amount of time at his uh at his side and trying to make him comfortable. 
So he became an ancestor on Saturday. And it's difficult. It's hard for my mom and it's hard for my grandmother. My grandmother's birthday is on the day that this podcast releases. So happy birthday, mm-hmm. Momo, on the on the 14th. It's hard because um, it's difficult to see somebody that was so like full of life, which he was. He lived very hard as men. And my family as Southern men tend to do. Uh, he 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 liked to have himself a drink. Um, you know, he had had some, I guess you'd say, <laughs> run-ins with the law throughout his life. <laughs> but he was my uncle, this big, tall, beautiful, slender black man. I posted a picture of him. He had his 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 locks out. He looked like what you would consider to be black Jesus, you know, looked like. Mm. And so, you know, my mom is obviously going through a lot of stuff and my grandmother's going through a lot of stuff, losing a child, my grandfather as well. But all of these conversations that you have in the midst of somebody's transition just really refocus like what you want your life to be. And what mm-hmm. I want my mother's life to be. Mm-hmm. You know. Uh, the men in my family on both sides come into the world and like just bite chunks of it off. You know, they do everything. They live hard. They, they womanize. They do the things that they do. And then the women outlive them. You know, my Uncle David died in his 60s. My dad died in his 60s. Uh, my Uncle Charles died some years ago in his 60s. My Uncle Mark, my, my dad's brother, died. He was 55. And these are hard-living Southern men. They come in there and they, they, they bounce around and they uh, then they're gone. And the women of the family, my mother, my grandmother, my sister, my aunt, um, uh, Gavin's mom, Gigi, my you know the my youngest brother's mother, all uh, they they outlive these guys, and so for the rest of their lives, they have to have conversations with ghosts and kind of relitigate these men's entire lives. While the entire time they were here, they held their secrets and they, you know, they. <sighs> built them out of jail and they visited them in prison. It's just, I talked to my mother, even with some people that are still around, it's just a non-stop life of emotional sacrifice. And it extends beyond the grave. Uh, mm-hmm. So it's, it's interesting. And it's also interesting watching this generation of people um, move on into eternity because it represents like a dying of a certain portion of your life. You know, Um, it's like the eighties are dying almost. Mm -hmm. And, Mm -hmm. you know, the further we move along the eighties, you know, but it's like the eighties are dying. Like all of these guys who were around me during that time, they're gone. Um, So I really need to, in a, in a big way, focus on 
my mother and my grandmother and my sister in terms of the experiences that they still have left, that they can still have. My mom has so much living to do. My grandma has so much living to do. Um, but I want to make sure it's on their terms because they're always fretting about somebody else, you know. Um, but my mm-hmm. Uncle David, man, he wouldn't have wanted me to lie about him. That's not how he did it. I remember one time we were watching Mike Tyson fight. And <laughs> Mike Tyson had lost to Evander Holyfield and the whole shot, the whole house was shocked. We were still holding on to hope that Mike was in some way invisible. And the whole house, oh my God, if I know he'll just whoop the shit out of Mike Tyson. Uncle David goes, all right, you're going to kill him in the rematch. Okay, so the rematch comes. He comes back over to the house. And Vanda's beating Mike ass again and Mike bites him, right? Uncle David goes, well, Tyson's a bum. Then he looks at his girl. (laughs) He goes, he goes, woman, grab me a Budweiser, the king of beers. Because I am the king of my castle. And my and all of my friends, we started laughing. He was drunk and going up. <laughs> he, he was just, you know, he was God. drunk. He came in. We was listening to No Limit. He turned it off. And he was like, I'm about to put on some confunction. Oh. Some parliament funkadelic, some P-funk, you know. My Uncle David was the first way that I realized that women sometimes cheat on their husbands. True story. Me and my father in Dallas, Texas, we were staying with my um, with my grandmother, and me and my dad went. But one of my mom's friends, uh, she she had was having some work done in the house, and me and my dad went to go do the work. And we went. We poured some concrete in the front. We made. My dad told me. My dad taught me how to like uh, expose the concrete. So if you mm-hmm. if you want the concrete where it looks where you can see all the rocks and all of that stuff, you pour the concrete and then you run the holes over and you can see all the pebbles. It looks cool or whatever. And so we're doing a little exposed walkway up to their house. A little quick job. And my mom's friend is there. I'm me, her husband, me and her husband are talking about all kinds of stuff. Oh, you like he man, huh? You know, blah, 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 blah. He's being a nice guy. <laughs> so I see her. Like a week later, I walk in the house and she's curled up with Uncle David on the couch. Oh, maybe like eight, seven, eight, something like that. And I'm like, huh, how does that work? And then I, 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 I'm I, trying to listen to a Stevie Wonder tape. I, well, pop the Stevie Wonder tape in and I've, I, I, I hear a tape that Uncle David, a mixtape that he's made for her, where he's saying her name. This song is for you, baby. No, no, nine. you don't, man. I swear. No. <laughs> Oh, uh, uh, Donnie, bleep that name out. Uh, it's like, this, this song is for you. And I'm like, huh. I asked my, I asked my dad. I was, like, I was like, dad, what's, what's, what's with Uncle David and Mama Friend? He was like, you know what's going on? <laughs> He's like, right. If you got to ask, you He's know. Like, He's like, you know what's going on. Unc didn't care. Ne- ne- next time I saw him, I was looking at him through a uh, through a through a glass prison prison wall. And it got in trouble some kind of way up in California. We wouldn't visit him, and that's how I saw a lot of those guys, man. Where out they were raised in hell, and when they weren't raised in hell, they were inside of hell. So 
it's a, uh, it's um, it's interesting. Just you know, a lot of a lot of scars, man, in these deep southern families. A lot of scars, but he, you know, he'll rest well. He, he didn't, he didn't leave anything. He, he ate all his food. So rest in peace to my uncle David. And um, rest in I have peace. to, I have to some way tell the story of the women in my family. They just, me and my mom had a conversation earlier, and it's just so nuts what they've been, what they've had to go through. It's crazy. It's really insane, you know. So I don't. Know. Black women handle a lot and they sacrifice a lot. And um, I imagine that's what you're talking about. Yeah. Like she, my mom broke down some stuff and I'm always learning new shit. It's, it's, it sometimes. Isn't that crazy when you get older and you, you're able to have these conversations with your family? For me, I, I, I know exactly what you're talking about because I'm like, my, Despite my my dad's family is very conservative and very very private. Like to it, it's it's too private. My mom's side is very open, but despite how in open they are, they keep a lot of secrets. And as I get older, stuff slips out where I guess they just get comfortable and they don't necessarily mean to, but then, you know, I'm older. I'm in a different place in my life. So they they will talk to me about certain things. And I don't know about you, but I'm like, man, if you had told me that, do you know what how that could have helped me when I was younger? If I could have known, I'm not saying you got to tell family business, but it could have let me know that I can make mistakes too, that everybody's not perfect. Like I felt like my elders were put up on to be almost like a deity. And to know that they were out here, out well, here in certain ways. I'm just saying, I'm not saying you got to tell everything, yeah. but also the the shame or maybe like the guilt that you may feel about doing certain things that you realize we all do. Everybody's you know, doing yeah, I, I agree. I think I see in, in families like mine, it's especially more so and families like mine, it, it, they're they're always looking for somebody that's going to ascend, right? And kind of drag people along with them in whatever way. Um, I think sometimes that's why talent is so difficult for us to turn our back on in the black community. Like if you can really sing, if you can really move, if you can really run that football, we accept some of the bullshit that might come with it. If you can really dance because it's like talent is the one thing that, has the opportunity to break these generational curses. Like you might bring a whole bunch of people with you to LA or you might change the family or whatever. Um, and they, they try to, at least from my experience, they try to keep those things quiet so that, that they don't cast extra spells. They don't want to talk about that stuff because they're too busy trying to make you believe that your existence in some way is going to be uh, the one that's going to change everything. They don't want you to know how people fucked up in the past because they don't want you to think it's okay to make those same mistakes. They want to pretend like the mistakes never happened. 
And it's like this generational secret keeping that everyone thinks is uh is in some way beneficial to, con- mm-hmm. to not talk about mm-hmm. this stuff. And if we don't talk mm-hmm. about it, it'll go away and then you won't do it. Um, and if you don't do it, then somehow we'll all be better off. But right. what ends up yeah. happening is, is certain people have to live with the secrets because a lot of these secrets that we're talking about, they aren't, there's your garden variety family secret, right? Your your uh, <laughs> hey, you know, I'm seriously, you know, that's not really your cousin, right? And I've I've had that one a bunch of times over. Like my grandpa, yeah, my grandfather, my uncle David's dad is not biologically related to me. Like uh, my grandmother had had my mom, and then she married him. I didn't learn that for years and years and years, like mm-hmm. literally, years and years and years. I did not know that. And then, yeah. you know, my mom finds her dad. He was, I think I've told you guys, he was like a, it was just described as a guitar player and something like that. It's, you know, he's played the guitar and then all of a sudden, he played the guitar and then all of a sudden, baby pops out, whatever. Um, <laughs> so, finds that guy. And in 2000, whereabouts that he comes, you know, we meet him. We meet all of his children. They look exactly, she looks just like him, all his people. And we're all going to be one happy family. They fucking disappear. Never see them again. At least not me. Mom might have gone, you know. And the guy who's my grandfather is like, that's the grandfather that I know. The thing about mm-hmm. it, though, is that, um, you know, some of the secrets are just like that. And then some of the secrets are, abuse yeah and some of the secrets are rape um some of the secrets are incest some of the secrets are financial usury some of the secrets are always twenty thousand dollars for the house never seen them again you know some of the secrets are really really tough tough stuff Yeah. yeah and you learn it and you know like i said it's been a rough couple of years, like losing these people, losing my dad, losing my uncle, but it's also, man. But it doesn't change how you see them, right? Because you grew up looking at them a certain way and that's how you see them. At least that's how it's been for me. Certain things that I've learned, you know, whether they're with us now or they're not, I guess they'll forever be a certain way in my mind. Nah, it changes it, it depends what it is. No, yeah, some of the stuff hasn't changed for me. It's, it, 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 some and I can almost me. relate to almost every single thing that you said. Some of the with shit. With family. It changes it for me. Like I told mom this morning, I was talking to mom, we were having a conversation. And I'm like, like, why, why do you do this? Why do you, like, how could you do this? Like, protected? how, like, it's not even protected. It is, she is, it can't be possible for someone to be that. How can I say it? It's it's impossible for somebody to just fucking take that many body blows. Mm. It's just like, it's just from everyone you ever love, just like a left hook, a right hook, a body shot, a boom. And then they die without ever like having, they, they don't even give you no ice. You know how like a boxer when he's in the corner, yeah, they got the end swell, and you would expect that if somebody was beating you like that emotionally, that at least 
they come and put the inswell shit on you. They put the Vaseline on you. They try to, nah, they they die and you're left there with all of this stuff trying to figure out how to, how to, how to, how to like heal your own wounds. And it's like, it didn't start with my dad. She learned how to do that way before. Hmm. Like she learned how to do that. It was almost like you had to learn how to take punishment to be like a, a lady in my family. Like you had to learn how to take punishment. It's hmm. nuts. It's nuts, man. Um, but rest well, Uncle David. Uh it, it as far as he is concerned. I loved him. He was just the coolest guy in the world. He's just super cool. You know? He he yeah. could if it was so funny when he would get like his his dander up, when he would really get into a conversation. It was very reminiscent of me. I, I think people, I'm re- very reminiscent of him. I think when people see how like I get into something and I start getting really into it, that's because mm-hmm. what I would see is these guys having these conversations about what I watch him get into a conversation, an argument with somebody about where the host stroll in, in, in Los Angeles was. It's on the job site. Cause my uncle David has some issues. My uncle David wants hit a dude with a hammer on the, in the head with a job site costs my family 50,000. You know, we got into it on the job site. My uncle David worked for my dad. He picked up the hammer, boom, hit the nigga in the head Dude sued us, sued the place we were working for, really hurt my yeah. father's business. Like, yeah. seriously. Like, hurt our family, but it was like, that's just how he was. He picked up a nigga hitting the head with a hammer. It's David Ellis. But I was on one job where they was arguing about where the whole stroll was in L.A. And it was talking about, nah, man, you go to Figueroa. Nah, man, you go to Imperial. Nah, man, you go here, you go there. And I'm like, who fucking cares? <laughs> and then I became that guy. All right. <laughs> I, I, became, I became the guy who could endlessly I, argue you would about absolutely, You would absolutely have that conversation. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Um, big deal of the day. Don't really have one. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. Some big, there's some big issues to talk about. We'll get to them. Um, But on the side of this, we're going to give you some Oscars talk. Started with something like that. This episode is brought to you by Anytime Fitness. We're not all professional athletes, but we all have health goals. That's why Anytime Fitness gives you access to personalized plans and support from a coach. Plus, you can track your training, nutrition, and recovery progress with the Anytime Fitness app, just like the pros. With 24-7 access to more than 5,000 gyms worldwide, get more from your gym membership. Visit anytimefitness.com to try it for free today. Terms, conditions, restrictions, all apply. See website for details. This episode is brought to you by 20th Century Studios, Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. As a ruthless king builds his empire at the expense of the remaining human race, a young ape will fight for the future of apes and humans alike. Kingdom of the Planet of the Apes. Enter the kingdom in IMAX this Friday and in theaters everywhere. Get tickets now. Okay, uh, did you watch the Oscar? Did you get a chance to watch the show? I watched the Oscars. I've been talking about it all day. What did you like? What did you like? Jimmy Kimmel. Jimmy was good. I thought Jimmy was great. I really did. And, And obviously, you know, like they work on material before, but I felt like he was also saying jokes based on 
literally what was happening in the moment. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. He just seemed to be quick with it. Everything was, it landed right. There wasn't any moment where I was like, Ooh, no, no, it was a, I, I really enjoyed him hosting it. Um, like you know, listen, I'm a, I do, I do award season from January to now. The Oscars, the last ceremony, by the time you get to the Oscars, I'm like, let's, let's go. Let's let this be over with. It's a long ceremony. It's three and a half hours. It's, it's a lot of, we forgot, right? Because what happened last year, you forgot how long it is, how you watch these awards with awards with, with editing and sound where that aren't as sexy as the big awards, but it was cool. Some, some moments were shocking. Some of the, some of the winners were a little shocking. shocking. And I will say, you know, before we get all into it, typically you can look at who's winning, who wins the Globes, the Critics' Choice, the SAGs, who's getting that clean sweep to determine who's going to win that big award at the Oscars. But this year, it seemed to be all over the place. You know, call it great individual performances, call it great movies, whatever it may be. People who were well overdue for their moment. But I don't think anybody really knew who, except for Kihi Kwan. I don't think anybody just really knew who was going to take home those big awards. So it was shocking when some of the announcements were made. I think that people thought that uh, everything, everywhere, all at once would do well early on. But the movie came out like such a long time ago that there have been performances that came out after, particularly mm-hmm. Angela Bass's performance performance in um, Wakanda Forever, uh, Kate Blanchett's performance in, in Tar. And you'd see some of these performances and you'd be like, okay, well, these people are going to uh, catch up to mm-hmm. what we saw with everything, everywhere, all at once um, because it had been a while since the movie had come out. Um, and then, you know, people had their favorites. I-, I enjoyed this Oscar ceremony more than others because I did. Because they had... Why? Well, I thought that it it was a little bit less stuffy. Um, you know, Cocaine Bear was out there. You know, stuff like that is kind of wild. A donkey. Like, <laughs> a donkey. Like, it's kind of, it wasn't stuff. What I don't get, what I don't like sometimes about the ceremony is how serious everything is. You know, it's the, <laughs> you know, you win the Oscar. I even make fun of Trayvon about his speech when we won. We get up there and it's kind of like, please see us. Like, hey, the award. Come to the party. We're waiting for you. We got the champagne <laughs> on ice. And we were. And we were. We got the champagne <laughs> on ice. Remember our Oscar party and how joyous it was and all of that? It's a really yes. great time. So yes. I, I like the fact that the awards were a little bit more fun. There's always going to be some controversy no matter, not like last year, no matter what happens, there's always going to be some controversy. Uh, but I enjoyed it for the most part. Um, Angela Bassett did not win. She did not. For Wakanda Forever. It, she lost to Jamie Lee Curtis um, from the movie that swept everything. I mean, we're talking about best actress, best picture, best director, best original screenplay, editing. Uh, yeah. the movie. The movie won all of the above the line Oscars. Uh, for performance and all of that stuff. It won everything that it was nominated in. Of course, it had no Best Actor uh, submission, but it won everything that it was nominated for. 
pretty much. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it that the people were pissed. Angela Bassett didn't yeah. win. And when the camera was on them, when they were in their boxes, and that J sound came out, Angela Bassett made absolutely zero percent effort in hiding her disappointment with the fact that she did not win the award. I think you're exaggerating, but keep going. How could I be exaggerating? You could zero percent effort and how disappointed she was. For sure. Okay, keep going. Wait, hold on. Let's stay here. (laughs) You no, I know she was disappointed. I guess. I'm hearing how you're saying it. And I think uh-huh. it, to me, it plays into the media frenzy that has just captured, like taken this moment and ran with it. And it's just so disappointing to me when I look, obviously she's disappointed, right? For me, I'm like, forget this PC stuff. This is a woman who we know deserved an Oscar years ago for her performance. She comes back with this opportunity. Uh, for what? What's love got to do with it? Okay, do me a favor real quick. So you think she deserved an Oscar for that? That You're ready to say deserve. I think she deserved an Oscar for What's Love Got to Do With It. All right. That's Tina Turner. Who were the other people she was up against? Don't remember. So then how can you say that? Well, why does it matter? If I saw, if I, okay, let me look, let me look it up. I'm gonna, I'm not going to change my opinion. What they are. I can already tell you what okay, they are. Okay, tell me. But it's a, it's a, it's a, it's a competition. She was up against Holly Hunter I'm for the piano. She was up against uh, Emma Thompson. She was up against Deborah Winger, Deborah Winger in Shadowlands. She was up. So, and I, and I think maybe. I'm not saying that she, she wasn't up against a stiff competition. That doesn't take away from my opinion that I believe she should, she deserved to win. For that performance. But she has to win over somebody. So yeah, Van, what right. are you doing? What, what I'm doing is this. What I'm saying is when we talk about the awards, we it, it can't be, a. there's this sort of nebulous idea of deserve, right? Like, it, it is, a, is a performance deserving of an accolade? Well, it depends in a, in a, in a, in a competition where you're judging performances against other performances, you would have to say that she was better than all of those people, which means that you would have had to have seen all of those movies and you'd at least have to know. And that's kind of, I think, how we set ourselves up for disappointment. And we we set ourselves up for disappointment by saying, oh, she deserved this. Well, if if you're going to say that, then you have to say, you have to say why. Right. Well, here's my thing. Did I mm-hmm. see every single movie in that category? Absolutely not. It's me. We know that at this mm-hmm. point. However, I'm giving my opinion, right? So maybe, yeah, maybe my opinion isn't correct to you because I haven't seen every single one, but I could have seen that movie and I just I could have said, I think that she deserves it. I could have seen every movie and been like, I don't think that their, her performance was based on it because I didn't like the way I'll use I'll use the category that that's at issue with the this current Oscar. I could have seen every single movie, right? And just mm-hmm. been like, I didn't like the way Jamie Lee acted when she had those long fingers in the movie. Mm-hmm. And it's not based on anything that's profound or anything. It's just my opinion. So I don't think that that can change the fact that I think that she did so outstanding. I think it's very hard to play somebody else. I think that that was an incredible role for her. And I, and I think she should have won. Fine. Like, I'm not you. I'm not the movie critic. You can say that I'm not doing things the way I'm not into movies that you. My only criticism of what you're saying is that it's 
But I, I would have probably watched all those movies. I probably wouldn't have liked them the same. And I still would have said, I feel like I could have said, I feel like she deserves to win it because she's black. It could have been, my opinion can be rooted in whatever I want. I liked her wigs in the movie. I liked, I'm just saying, it, so it didn't have so to, I didn't saying, have to watch so, it. So real, your opinion can it, be rooted. It's just an opinion. Your opinion can be rooted in whatever you want. It doesn't have to be rooted in any discernible fact or any sort of actual. So you can just, for whatever reason, you can just think something. I just saying. wanted her. I felt like she was deserving of it. I liked the movie. I loved her performance. This is it. It is what it is. It's not. I mean, it's I get what you're what you're doing, mm-hmm. but well, great. The only you're proving, why, great. I didn't see all the movies. My no, opinion no, no, doesn't mean it is doing it is because sometimes I think this has to do specifically with the way that the Oscars work and to a different situation, because remember, we had this same conversation with Beyonce. Remember, but, you, but I didn't say to you, did you listen to all these albums, even though you felt like Beyonce should have? D- but but here was the thing that I was saying with Beyonce. What mm-hmm. I was saying with Beyonce is, is number one, I did think that Beyonce's album was better than Harry's house. Okay, But you didn't uh, listen to every album. I, I didn't. But the only but the only reason why I was listening, to, I was I was talking about that with Beyonce was that if you didn't ask me why, I'd say. I thought that at this particular point, her having been nominated for album of the year this many times, and I didn't, I don't think that Beyonce deserved it. I wanted her to win it. I don't think that she. You felt like Beyonce should have won. I felt like it was her time, right? I felt like I I felt like it was her time. That's a deserve. That's it's not. It's like some. It's it's it's, it's. it's, it's very it's, similar, man. It, it, it's it's close, <laughs> but this is this is what I'll say. And and to be honest with you, you in ways persuaded me after that. You persuade. Well, I was like, well, you know what? I did the bad hear. bunny. Yeah, <laughs> because of bad bunny. Like you persuaded me. I was it's like, really okay, good. cool. So, but but when I, I and I think in this situation with her, which by the way, she didn't clap. Can I also can I can I ask you what you're basing her not clapping on? Because what I saw was we saw the box, we saw uh-huh. the announcement. Of course, like of course, her co-star Stephanie's going to be super excited for her. We saw we saw the other women clap, but it was like for three seconds. Uh-huh. Do we know if Angela clapped after that? So Do we know it, was the camera on her the whole time? I'm just saying. Okay. Everybody else clapped. <laughs> and that at that time, yes, they did. Right. Yes, they did. If she didn't clap right away, which it's customary to do, it's probably because she was dis- disappointed. What's what's so controversial about that? No, it was how you were like she was extremely disappointed. It just it looked like I, it looked like she was extremely I, disappointed. I agree that she was disappointed, and who wouldn't? To me, you know, why it didn't bother me because well, I just felt like me. It didn't bother well, me. Well, okay, all. I guess yeah. I just for me. Good for Angela for being disappointed and and saying I'm not gonna clap, or I'm uh, from what we saw I'm not gonna clap. From what we saw I'm not gonna stand up. Wow, I thought I was gonna get it for the three seconds that w- it was on me. I'm thinking about damn, I thought I had a chance. And then they switch it, the camera back to Jamie and she goes up and accepts her speech. Good for Angela for being human in the moment and not focusing on what I need to do right now is clap because the camera's on me. I'm actually allowing myself to feel whatever I'm feeling because I thought I was going to win and I didn't. 
Do you think that it's a criticism of her that she was disappointed? You think that's a criticism? No. Do you think so? Is, so if I say she was obviously disappointed, and then you say she wasn't disappointed, it just it was the way you were saying it. I guess I'm super sensitive she about was, it. She I, was definitely you were like disappointed. She's extremely, and I guess I've just all day I've just been listening to people talk, whether it's on social media, online, or at work, of like. Angela Bassett and, you know, how dare she respond in that way and just looking for a moment. And I'm not saying you were doing that. I guess it yeah. just triggered me. You didn't do that. It just triggered yeah. me. So here's the thing. It's like, I, I don't give a, I don't, I don't give a shit about what people's opinion of her being disappointed is. Mm-hmm. Not only oh. did we think she was disappointed, but her... Every, they were consoling her from the stage. You know, like going up there, hey, you know what I mean? They were con- People thought that you she You think was that Michael B. Jordan and Jonathan Major saw her reaction or they just saw the fact that she didn't win? I think that they knew and they assumed that... Of course, that she's upset. Okay, so let's talk about this. Angela Bassett, if... And I'm, I'm not trying to be... Because it really doesn't matter in the long run, right? It, it matters. Actually, it does to me. But keep I'll going. Tell I'll tell you. No, 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 no. Go. No. The no. way that people look for an opportunity to criticize a black woman who oh literally, God. I'm serious. <laughs> I'm serious. Did you see the why article in the you, New York why Post? Didn't you, why didn't you have this same, why Why didn't you feel the same way about Beyonce? Why'd you give Beyonce? Because she fucking made history by like, winning. Why did you, why'd you give Beyonce, why, why did you not feel any sort of sympathy for Beyonce, who is a she black woman as black women go. What she woman? made history. It'd be different. <laughs> you know what? My, my speech would have been the same if they would have stopped Beyonce from getting the Grammys to make the history and she didn't win album of the year. Then I would have had a lot to say. But the, right. I don't want to take away from the fact that she made history. I guess she didn't get the Grammy that everybody wanted her to get and she herself to take her over to the top and make history. But I'm not going to take... She also made history. Period. Yeah. So but that's just, why I don't, I'm not coming in with that same passion. But, but there are levels to this. Album of the Year is a recognition of singular excellence above everyone else across all genres of music, right? It, it, it's the, the Grammys are so much more specific than the Oscars. It's best R&B sung duo. So you're up against your peers of your peers of your peers. We know that Beyonce is the best in what she does, right? But is Beyonce the best total overall? Are we Outcast wins album of the year? Outcast is the have put out the best musical product of the year. Period. And that's a different level of prestige than all of the other stuff. I think Beyonce would probably give back five, ten okay. of her I'm not other gonna Grammys t- to have that, album of the year. You're assuming that because she does have a title and she does have a title. Let's not take that away from her. But right. I don't want to I don't want to relitigate the Beyonce thing. What I'm saying is, no, seriously, I'm telling you, if she had not won that night when she was so close, I would have had a lot to say. Anyways, Angela Bassett here, the way that people are talking about her plays into our automatic. They, I just feel like people non-black people look for an excuse to stereotype specifically black women. And that is what I saw happening to Angela Bassett. Do you think Angela Bassett is the first person to not clap in her category when she didn't win? 
I don't oh. think so. But they're making such a big deal about it. Be Angela Bassett does almost everything right. She right. is so classy, so sophisticated, doesn't ruffle any feathers, says like she's <laughs> says something else. She's she's good. And, mm -hmm. and what, so she's great at what she does. And the first opportunity that she does something that's a little bit off that line, people are ripping her apart. And that's why it offends me. And that's what I have a problem with. The moment that you don't do something exactly like you're supposed to as a, to be a good black woman, they rip you apart. And to me, they were just waiting for an opportunity to do that. And that's what I don't like to see with Angela Bassett. If, who else was in that category? Carrie, if Carrie Condon didn't clap, I don't think it would be as big of a deal. Let me tell you something right now. If Angela Bassett would have won that award mm -hmm. and Jamie Lee Curtis would have not clapped for her and mm -hmm. looked in, in a way that showed outward disappointment, we would have torn her motherfucking ass up. And that is one million percent facts. If if Angela Bassett, if they call Angela and why Bassett would we have done Wakanda that? forever, and then she goes up on the stage to win, and Jamie Foxx and the Jamie Foxx, and Jamie Lee Curtis, <laughs> Jamie Foxx would be crazy, and Jamie Lee Curtis had, by the way, I just want to make, make sure people know this. I don't think anything about Angela Bassett being disappointed. It's cool. I have no problem with it. She was definitely disappointed, though. I have no problem with it. I don't think it means anything she about Angela Bassett. She was disappointed. I don't think it means anything about Angela Bassett. I don't think... I, none of that. But I'm just saying... Why would black real, people have done that? Why would black people have come after Jamie? Th they would have come after her because they would have felt like Jamie Lee Curtis was not being congratulatory enough to Angela Bassett because she won that it was Angela Bassett's moment. Do you think race would have had anything to do with it? Certainly. And race has okay. something to do with it now. So what, so, but what? Race has something to do with Angela not <laughs> clapping for Jamie? No. Race has something to do with the way people are reacting to it. But what I'm saying, it, like when I, race has, nah, I, it has nothing to do, race has something to do, you just said that, race has something to do with the way people are reacting to it, right? To me, looking at, whether or not she did it or not, it just kind of is what it is. But people are going, oh, if you're saying, hey, it's, it's, people are expected, black people are more expected to act on their best behavior when they're at a place like the Oscars. Eddie Murphy lost years ago, uh, I think it was Alan Alda that he lost to, um, Little Miss Sunshine. I can't, maybe Alan Arkin, maybe one of those guys. Can't remember who it was. Uh, he lost for Dreamgirls. Eddie clapped. When he lost, he clapped. The camera was right there on him. People thought that this was going to be the moment that Eddie Murphy was going to win his Oscar and it was going to be the whole deal. Eddie clapped. But after that, Eddie got up and he left the, he, he left the sound. I remember. I you know remember I mean? that. Like he, he, he did not win. He's, I'm getting the fuck out of here. Eddie left the ceremony, right? Mm -hmm. um, and people were mad about that. People were like, oh, my God, it's sore loser, blah, 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 blah. I think there's something else that we have to remember. As black performers, they know that their opportunity to win Oscars and to be minted in this way is it's it's a lot more scant than some of their contemporaries. And so it probably, like most other things, I mean, I don't want to say this, maybe it means more. Maybe it's a, 
It's a yeah. big well, It's I'm been not, 29 years. I can yes, yes, yes. Well, Jamie has never been nominated and she was never going to be nominated because most of the movies that she that she has done over the course of her career weren't close to uh, anything that was going to get her into uh, the nominations. And she's an older actress as well. I I, I don't potentially think, I, I don't really think that either of them was necessarily the best supporting actress of the year. I was rooting for Angela Bassett to win and wanted her to win strictly off tribalism. Say whatever you want. Strictly. Who did you think should have won? I actually thought. Did you see all the movies? Yeah. I actually okay. thought that either the young lady that played uh, Jobu Tupaki in in uh, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once, who played the other role, because Jamie Lee Curtis... Stephanie. Well, yeah, she had more of a... Yeah, she was like... <laughs> the. I, I guess I don't want to give away, but I don't know if it does because it's so trippy. Yeah, but... The daughter. So the, the daughter, I thought she should have won or the young lady from the well. And uh, the... Hung Chow. Hung Chow from the well. Uh, she was fantastic in that. She was really good in that. And The Whale was a very tough movie to watch. So, I know, I, didn't, I couldn't uh, do it. The, the Whale was a very tough movie to watch. But yeah, it's like, what, what, when Angela, did Angela bring it in Wakanda forever? Yeah. Like, would, would I have loved to have seen her win? Yeah, but she didn't win and she was mad. <laughs> not mad. Let me not say mad. Disappointed. She yeah, yeah. She was she disappointed. Was disappointed. <laughs> you know? Which but, I think, can we just start the trend of reserving space for people to be disappointed they didn't win? Because that is a natural reaction. I don't just, believe your claps or you standing up. You're upset. Know, just know that that's fine. But when if 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 the La La Land people wouldn't have clapped for Moonlight, y'all not going for that? <laughs> I mean, I'm, just, just, I'm just being it for is, real. I know, but the whole like Angela's shady and Angela is a bitch and we all, you know, like we knew she was like this. It's like, come on, that's y'all. Strange. But that's what happens. That's you immediately start putting all those stereotypes onto black women just and having a field day with it. So, day. yes, but I do you, take it a little personal. You feel like you take it very personal. You feel like she, mm-hmm. but I, I do also think that we have to kind of start looking at um, kind of what these awards mean, you know, like it, it. This is what I mean by this. When I watched Angela Bassett not win last night, you know who I thought about? I thought about Winter Brunson. She does Abbott Elementary, and she puts Shirley Ralph in, mm-hmm. and all of a sudden, in a way that most people hadn't been before. The entire world is, um, the entire world gets a, a firsthand look at what a fantastic performer Shirley Ralph is, which we already knew. We know. And I think about the fact that one thing that separates Angela Bassett and Shirley Ralph from, say, Kate Blanchett or Meryl Streep or Frances McDormand or any of the, of the other women that are perpetually nominated for these awards are the amount of times that they are given the opportunity to yeah. display their craft at a level 
that merits this type of consideration. And that's a larger cultural issue to me. It's the first time Angela Bassett got nominated for an Academy Award, she was playing Tina Turner in, um, you know, one of the most moving biopics ever. All those years later, all those years later, it happens that there is a movie and a filmmaker like Ryan Coogler that gives her the opportunity to flex her muscles in that same way. Meanwhile, if it's Nomadland, if it's women talking, uh, you know, if it's Tar, if it's um, all of the time, if it's Mama Mia, if it's a Devil Wears, The Devil Wears Prada, if it's all of these movies, these women get so many opportunities to continuously show how good they are. And that's specific to black perform black black female performers, is that we still don't have the type of filmmaking apparatus, in my opinion, where the roles are necessarily there, where the stories are either being recognized for how transcendent they are, or whether or not they're digging deep enough into uh, different issues and, and, and different types of black stories to where they're given the, the, the chance to go after it over and over again. Um, and there are a lot of reasons why that's true. There's a couple of reasons is we took a whole in, 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 in black filmmaking, we took a whole 10 year Tyler Perry detour. And that's not a diss. It's just a fucking fact. Um, and, and now we're to a point to where we need to kind of understand that we have as many talented performers out there, but we need to give them substance and subject material so they can go out there and show that. But do you also think that they're not, there's some way that the Academy isn't recognizing these performances when they are in movies like this, movies that got recognition where we didn't see these women nominated, Viola Davis in The Woman King, um, Danielle Deadweiler in Till, these were great performances that weren't even really in talks. They weren't even really on, you know, working this award season. They weren't even on the short list. Maybe the movies weren't for other reasons, but it was the same people that you saw nominated at this award ceremony. So there are some times where these movies are there and there's still, and these women still aren't getting honored, nominated. I don't think the woman came. You don't think, think her performance was there? Okay. It was good, but I, it was the, the, Viola Davis could be nominated every year. She's like a Meryl Streep. It's going to also be hard for people. It's also going to be hard for people to to really pick at Viola Davis being nominated because they they give Viola Davis love, right? They 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 give her the love. She gets. I'm the just love. saying there was a movie that was in talks. I mean, Did you, you already said that you didn't think Angela was for Black Panther. She was good. It was good. But like, it wasn't, was it a, was it a type then of- Then Viola could have gotten it for Woman King. Well, what I'm saying is, was it the type of performance that was so incredible that you're mad if she loses? No. Viola could have been nominated for Woman King. What were you about to ask me if I saw what? Did, I mean, like, did, did you, did you see Till? I saw some of it. It's a little too rough for me. I, I'm sorry. I, it's, that's, but I, but I, it didn't take away from what I saw of, of her performance. It's just, that's hard for me sometimes to watch those movies. Angela Bassett. I said I was going to circle back. She's as good as an actress as there is on the planet. Angela Bassett needs creators of all kinds 
to make sure that the roles are there for her to be able to flex that. She's her career, in, in my opinion, has been criminally underserved by the roles sure. that Hollywood has to offer, you know? Um, sure. But look. Maybe this will get people talking but and look, acting. So, but the Jamie Lee Curtis thing is like, you know, I was surprised. I was too. I was, I really thought, I thought, okay, they gave Jamie, because Angela won Glow. I thought they gave Jamie SAG because Angela was going to win it. The Oscars. You, you know, also though, is like the Oscars have been quietly rebelling against what they're supposed to do. Even at our ceremony, if you remember that night, Chadwick Chad Boseman did not win for Ma Rainey's Black Bottom. Right, 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 right. They've been quietly right. rebelling from what they're supposed to do and who they're supposed to give it to at the time that they're supposed to get it. You know, there are a couple of different ones where it happened. Brad Pitt and, you know, a couple of different ones, but they're, they're quietly, I don't know. I, I would have thought that this no? would be the time that they would have kind of uh, rewarded her for her entire career. But they didn't do it. That the um, way that they've been doing getting around that is by giving people honorary Oscars. Now they've always done that though. They've always. But but I'm saying Evangela Bassett, if she I hope this is not the case, but if she never has an opportunity to come back as a nominee, they'll give her an honorary Oscar. Yeah, that's that the, that's their way of making up for it. They, I'm just think, pointing that out. That's the way that I know it happens every year. I'm just saying that's the way I feel like that they yeah, feel like they're making up for it. Everybody I'm not saying that. it's right. Everybody knows that don't mean nothing though. It yeah, really I'm anything. saying, correct. I'm saying that's just what I think they do. Just remember, this has happened before. Samuel Jackson has never won an Oscar before. And he has an honorary. Spike Lee just won his first Oscar, what was it, four or five years ago? And that seems insane. That seems crazy. Don Cheadle never won an Oscar before. You know, they gave Will... Will won an Oscar. <laughs> right. and just won an Oscar in a movie where his performance loved Will Smith to death. It's a cartoonish performance to me. What would you say about the one Denzel won for? Uh, Training Day. But Denzel won before then as well. That was his but second this is Oscar. Best actor. Yeah, well, best act. Right. Okay. Same thing. Because so, people were saying he should have won for Malcolm X. He should have. Sorry, deserved, should have won for Malcolm X. Then, whenever, whenever then he gets somebody, a training whenever, day. <laughs> whenever somebody says you should have won, you have to go back and look at what else was there. <laughs> right? You, you just have to. But I will tell you this. So Denzel won for glory, right? I know yes. this is about I, supporting. I is supporting, yeah. He won for glory. So I, I noticed this about slave movies and movies, and that's why I kind of like the Woman King was 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 probably wasn't going to get rewarded by the academy they only really reward slave movies where white people are in some way the hero that's facts i'm not denying it they only so in the woman king the black woman is the hero they fuck up the slaver beat us shit you know what I mean? Even though, you know, the homie were slavers as well. The black woman is the hero. Boom. Whatever. In 12 Years a Slave, they reward that movie. But if you remember in that movie, Brad Pitt ended up being the dude 
that passed the letter along. And Glory, Matthew Broderick, was this general who was against racism. I'm a style. White people doing good. Even Django. There's people, they reward sure. slave movies, but they really only re- reward slave movies that in some way make white people look good. If it's a movie just about niggas getting fucked over where there are no good white people, like Birth of a Nation, like however you guys feel about Nate, that movie was never going to get nominated for anything because there really wasn't a white savior in it. You see what I'm saying? I think that's, I think to, to me, that is something that it's there, but people don't even see it. I was going back, I looked at The Woman King, I'm like, well, there are no, all the heroes in The Woman King are black. There are no good white people. The white guy that you see is a bitch. And then they got that nigga that looked like Sarunas in it, and he not really about shit. But so, they don't really do that. So if you want to make a movie, a slave movie, where it gets rewarded, you have to stick a good white person in it, or else they're not going to give you the award. It's just facts. You know, they, they want, they want, they want, they want everybody to know. Hey, there were some of us who were against it. There were some of us. <laughs> there were some of us. <laughs> um, but Angela Bassett must win. She looked amazing. Before we get off she the Oscars, did. oh, we have to talk about everything, everywhere, all at once. It was a huge moment. It was a huge moment, huge moment. And and you knew that not just from the win, but from the speeches from Kihi Kwan and uh, Michelle Yeoh. Uh, I mean, if you, if Key is like, can I just call him Key? I'm just, I just did. Key, I mean, he's like America's sweetheart right now. Just his story, how he almost gave up. He talked about living the American dream. Couldn't believe that he was here. And then Michelle Yeoh, two things. She talked about representation. And this was for little boys and little girls who look like her. But then she also said, don't let anyone tell you you're past your prime. And I love that. She's also representing for women, but an older generation of women who are still out here doing their thing and getting recognized for it. But the whole, the whole, you already named off multiple Oscars that they won. Um, But it was just, it was a big night for, for Asian representation. Michelle Yeoh made history. Did Key make history? What? Did Key Kwan make history? Make history in what way? Like in for, as far as winning as an Asian man? Yeah. Did he, I'm he, not made, he made history in being awesome. I <laughs> he made history. He's the first actor to win for portraying a Mandarin Chinese and Cantonese speaking character. Wow. There you go. There so, you go. He made history too. I appreciate two specific stories here. Three, mm-hmm. really. I I was blown away by the fact that Michelle Yeoh has never had any formal training in martial arts, which they talked about when she got up on this. That blew my fucking mind. Yeah, she's a ballerina. Yeah. Uh, the story of Michelle Yeoh and just how much she's meant to Hollywood and her winning this and having the opportunity. Once again, what you saw in um, Everything, Everywhere, All at Once was an older woman get the opportunity to kick ass and be mom. The role itself was revolutionary. That's why it produced revolutionary results. And Creators have to think outside the box and the stories that they tell if they want all of these artists to be able to flex their muscles. Uh, her, Brendan Fraser, and Keith, man, look, 
what this industry put Brendan Fraser through, a guy who I mm-hmm. spent my entire childhood with, a guy that went from a uh, heartthrob to a uh, comedy guy to action star to gone to come back and get the opportunity to stand on that stage and and survive Hollywood and be at the top of it is fantastic. Couldn't be happier for mm-hmm. Brendan Fraser. Mm-hmm. And man, when you watch the movie, there's so much coming from the portrayal uh, of the husband's character in it. And when you, when I'm sitting there looking, I didn't know at first. I'm like, Jesus Christ, man, is that data? You know what I mean? Like it is. I'm like, what the fuck? <laughs> and to see him back after all of these years, and to know that he left and he thought it was gone, it's just incredibly mm-hmm. inspiring. You know? Yeah. The only yeah. way the night would have been perfect is if Angela would have won. <laughs> but I'm serious. But I can't even be mad. I agree with you. I can't even be mad like. You know, Jamie Lee Curtis has been a staple as well. I just, you know, I'm just, I'm a, I'm a tribalist. I wanted to see Angela Bassett win. She didn't we win. All, we did. We all did. Um, okay, Rachel, have you, have you, uh, oh, Donnie, what'd you put in the chat? Hold on for a sec. What is this? Samuel L. Jackson? Yeah. When he Even- was nominated in 95, he's on camera when he loses oh, so- and he's like, shit. <laughs> Let me see. Let me see. <laughs> Oscar goes to Martin Landau and Ed Wood. <laughs> oh, that's very funny. Also didn't clap. See? It, it, it. <laughs> I'm looking at it right now. Like Martin Landau and Ed Wood. Martin but you Landau know what? Everybody would have sound that. The, everybody would have said that was funny. Because it's Samuel L. Jackson. So you're saying that they treated him in I a different everybody way? Everybody would have said it was Samuel. Donnie, Ashley, do you think people would have said that was funny if Samuel yeah. d- did that in president? Is it because of Samuel L? Yeah. Or are you saying yeah. it's it's because of Samuel L? I think it's because of Samuel L. But are you uh, so? <laughs> is, you, you, you're not saying it's like a black woman thing, though, right? Is it black? No, women? no, 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 no. I, 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 it's because no. Oh yeah, no. It's because it's him. <laughs> yeah. And he. And, and by the way, I felt like that performance deserved to win. What was he nominated? What performance was he nominated for? God damn, man. 95? What was that? It's Pulp Fiction. Oh, come on, man. Oh, Pulp Fiction, Pulp Fiction. God, smack yourself, man. Who does who are you saying deserve to win? Samuel or the or Martin? Samuel. I think it was him. Uh well, right there. Gary Sinise, Martin Landau. All of those performances were good, but Charles Palmentary, I think that was Bullets Over Broadway. But um, if I remember. But yeah, I thought I thought Samuel Jackson gave a culture altering performance, but that's back when if you was going to win it as a black guy or a black woman, you had to be motherfucking, you had to go nuts. <laughs> like, I mean, like back in dim days, remember boys in the hood didn't win shit. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. Like you yeah. had to go nuts. Don Cheadle was not nominated for portraying mouse. In Devil in the Blue Dress. I, I still can't get over that one. It's crazy. Anyway. All right. Uh, look, uh, President Joe Biden is letting all you guys know that your money is safe. Your money is safe. United States of America. Uh, this is uh, Joe this morning talking about the banking system, which people are very, very tense about. Hey, thanks for the quick action of my administration over the past few days. Americans can have confidence that the banking system is safe. Your deposits will be there when you need them. 
small businesses across the country, the deposit accounts at these banks can breathe easier knowing they'll be able to pay their workers and pay their bills. And their hardworking employees can breathe easier as well. Last week, when we learned of the problems of the banks and the impact they could have on jobs of small businesses and banking systems overall, I instructed my team to act quickly to protect these interests. And they've done that. They've done that. On Friday, the government regulator in charge, the FDIC, took control of Silicon Valley Bank's assets. And over the weekend, it took control of Signature Bank's assets. Treasury Secretary Yellen and a team of banking regulators have taken action, immediate action. And here are the highlights. First, all customers who had deposits in these banks can rest assured, I want to have, rest assured they'll be protected and they'll have access to their money as of today. That includes small businesses across the country that bank there and need to make payroll, pay their bills, and stay open for business. No losses will be, and I'm on, this is an important point, no losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Let me repeat that. No losses will be borne by the taxpayers. Instead, the money will come from the fees that banks pay into the deposit insurance fund. Because of the actions of that, because of the actions that our regulator has already taken, every American should feel confident that their deposits will be there if and when they need them. Um, Rachel, have you heard about what happened to Silicon Valley Bank? And do you have thoughts? I mean, yes, I've heard about it. A lot of it, to be very honest with you, and I'm sure most people feel this way, it goes over my head. I don't understand banking. I don't understand the way that banks make their money. Um, I, my understanding is that, you know, there was a mismatch on the assets and the liabilities and, and because interest rates went up, it made the bank became insolvent. I don't even know if I'm saying that right, but I think that is correct. Um, I think Joe Biden, for me, I, even though without knowing much about banking, my fear was, OK, is this another bailout situation where the government gets involved? And then the other thing was, is this going to cost us money? Which he's saying it's not going to cost the taxpayers money. And I'm like, OK, Um but then I, you know, I was reading an article that was talking about the people that were affected, because obviously when this happened, there were certain businesses that could not, they were worried about how they were going to pay their workers. Mm-hmm. They were worried about how they were going to survive. And I was reading this article that was talking about black female founders and that less than 1% of tech sector investment capital goes to black female founders and that they're underrepresented in this community and they were grossly impacted by this because they don't have those large assets to draw on because they don't get the same funding as you know the those who look like the Mark Zuckerbergs of this world so it just made me think of what's going to happen to these black owned businesses these female led businesses who don't get the same type of funding and are you going to bail them out And like, how is this going to be divvied up? Are you just going to give it to everybody? Is it going to trickle down? Are you going to, you know, specify who needs the the bailout the most, who needs help the most? Anyways, it's really all my knowledge on this. I think that what they're, I think that will eventually happen. I think that most people uh, be made, will be made whole in this situation. Um, What essentially happened here to the best of my knowledge is that uh, Silicon Valley Bank, which is, uh, a decent sized bank it was the 20th largest bank in the country or something like that. They, um, they, uh, they, uh, finance a lot of startups, a lot of startups, a lot of startups, a lot of, uh-huh. lot of startups. They, around 2020, 
late 2020 or whatever, after the pandemic, a lot of those startups had like a lot of money, uh, a lot of money. And because they were depositing the money in the bank, Silicon Valley Bank was like, okay, cool. Well, in order to make use of all this extra cash that we're getting, what we're going to do is invest it safely. We're going to invest it in some government bonds, right? So we're investing some bonds. The bonds are pretty solid. They're normally uh, slower returns, but a less risky sort of way to um, ensure that your money is safe. Unless interest rates go up. If interest rates go up, which I guess they didn't see because the Fed went, uh, interest rates went up uh, because of inflation, those bonds then aren't so attractive. Changes the way that the money is kind of being made. Also, something else happened. A lot of the start, there weren't as many startups that were flush with cash anymore because the economy had changed. So they're not getting cash infusions from startups anymore. And the interest rates has gone have gone up, which means that the people that are banking with them, they want to get their money out. They're like, ah, man, I'm I'm not feeling great. I'd rather than have this money tied up and stuff, I want my money because I'm not so sure that uh, the bank in the long run is going to be able to meet my needs. Well, that's a run on the bank. They then have to sell off some of their assets, $2 billion worth of assets because more people are pulling money out because right. of different stuff, right? That causes a run on the bank. And when there is a run on the bank, they don't have enough cash on hand to meet the demand of everybody that's pulling the money out. Remember, they took some of the money, they put it in bonds and stuff like that. So the bank fails. In this situation, there are two things that the government's probably going to guard against. Number one, this is another massive L for capitalism, um, for the sort of unregulated, decentralized capitalism that certain political factions are in favor of. There, there was the Dodd-Frank Act that um, that President Biden and President Biden said this, uh, and President Obama got passed, which caused banks to have to be a little bit more. How can I put it? They there was this thing called you know stress test that the bank would have to go through to prove its solvency and all of that stuff. And under Dodd-Frank, uh, there was a lot more regulation to that. You had to submit to stress tests more often. It was it, it was better regulated, but of course Trump comes in and he peels back all of the regulations. So banks are kind of playing uh, hard and fast and loose with the way that they're making their money, right? Um, and that causes them to dive headfirst into the market. And if something changes, they lose. And when they lose, you lose. What's interesting to this uh, about this to me? is that the United States seems like, and, you know, whether it's a cash infusion or whether it's a takeover or whether or not the government gets involved to to help a buyer what they don't want, to help find a buyer what they don't want to do, is uh, they don't want to see this catch on. There's something mm-hmm. called financial contagion to where this can spread and then all of a sudden you have all kinds of uh, of different problems with banks all over the place. Now, I will tell people this. A Silicon Valley bank is a big bank and there are other banks that are around that size. Um, but 
their assets were, I think, around $200 billion or something like that, $250 billion. When you talk about the bigger banks failing, you talk about J.P. Morgan Chase and banks like that, it's like $3 trillion bucks that the banks would have. So um, you're probably not going to have as much of a problem in an instance like that with a bank like this. But these things become murky when crypto gets involved. These things become murky when you have these sort of mid-sized banks who are, are maybe a little less risk-averse. They want to play it a little bit uh, more uh, closer to the, uh, uh, further away from the chest. Um, and when there's not sufficient regulation um, or oversight, the people that always get hurt are the people that have their money in these um, institutions. Or no one gets hurt because what saves the day is socialism. <laughs> what saves the day is mm-hmm. a government involvement <laughs> in regulating, excuse me, government involved uh, involvement in fixing capitalism. Yeah. yeah. And the question that I have is, when are we going to get to the point to where we understand that the type of uh, imaginary money the, the type of capitalism that we have now flowing from place to place is always going to lead to a situation to where people are put in harm's way where the money that they've earned or made or raised is not available to them because of decisions by some financial institution or something else. Um, there's going to be a cycle. I'm surprised that this didn't happen before then, before now, to be honest with you. And I think that despite our best laid plans, if there is no sort of a real attention paid to what it is that we're doing, we're looking at this happening and again pretty soon, you know, like in, in my opinion, you know. But do they, when it comes to the regulation of these banks, which you already pointed out, they're not doing, do they even, when it comes to Congress and voting on the type of regulations that would prevent this type of thing from happening, is that ever even going to happen? They did. Do what it. would happen? It was undone. They did it. Right, they did I'm it, talking about where we are right after now. After 2008, yeah. I'm, I'm talking about where we are right now. Like, is that is that even going to happen? What would ha- what would it take? Another failure? I mean, if the government's going to continue to keep bailing them out, and then it's, if it, and, and taxpayers aren't impacted by it, is this going to be the vicious cycle that we continue in? Yeah. Who knows? Let's see. Well, maybe we'll bring. Mark back on to talk about this since everybody loves him so much. Maybe we're going to find somebody else. Uh, but yeah, the <laughs> Treasury, the Fed, and the FDIC um, are all getting together, putting their big national central government heads together uh, to make sure that <laughs> all the deposits from Silicon Valley Bank, both insured and unsured, will be paid in full because remember, they only insure your shit up to $250,000. So, yeah. uh, so that means that nine-tenths of the people that had their money in this bank were fucked. <laughs> uh, it's not funny. Also, um, <laughs> yeah, it, it, unsecured. It's, it's, unsecured. Yeah. It's not <laughs> fucked. Yeah, it's, not, it's not funny. Of course, the, you know, the left is bl- blaming it on the woke. I mean, the right is blaming it on the woke politics when literally it's their legislation their sort of political and fiscal um, direction that caused this. But people don't care. No one gives a fuck. No one gives a fuck about the actual problem, you know? 
No, no, fix no, the no. Bank. I'll tell Stop you what. the blame game. Blame yeah, game. It's the same. They're in this country. They allow it's sink or swim for everyone except for them. <laughs> it is. It's sink or swim. The rest of you guys, hey, get your asses out there and 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 fucking make it. Get your shit together. Get off the government's teat. Get off the government's teat. And I'm sorry, because I don't want to make it seem like I'm railing against anyone that was doing business with Silicon Valley Bank, because I'm sure that those people were doing it um, in good faith. But all of these banks that fail, all of these industries that fail, the first thing they do is Stick out their mouths for the teeth of the government. <laughs> but try to try to feed a six-year-old and watch what they say. Trump's people were all over Silicon Valley Bank, by the way. It's all his fault. Sure. Fox News, you trust them? I mean, I think at this point, no. <laughs> and I don't know if I ever did. No, I don't trust them. So new documents that were released last week, so I guess they're kind of new. Um, Tucker Carlson texted a colleague saying that he hates Trump passionately. Uh, so Dominion is closing Wait, in on say Fox. when he Say when he, tr- he texted that. Oh, I don't when see did, it. Oh, 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 it. oh you, tell, you tell me. You tell, you give it to me. Give me the... He texted him. First, he texted January 4th about... Can't wait for the day. January 4th, 2021. Right? Can't wait for the day that he can ignore Trump. Um, then he said he hated him passionately. Mm-hmm. And then days later, January 6th, 2021, he said that Trump was a demonic force and a destroyer. So Tucker Carlson. Day of the riots. So obviously this doesn't reflect the coverage of Donald Trump that you get on Tucker Carlson's show. Because Fox News has made the conscious decision to not even attempt to be a journalistic organization and to be the mouthpiece um, for uh, the far right. Actually, not even mouthpiece for the far right. They've made the decision to chase cash at whatever cost. Now, I don't want to holier than thou this situation because at this particular point, I'm not sure if there are networks that aren't chasing cash? Uh, can I just say, you're right. Obviously, it's about the the them making money and, and, you know, who's advertising on their networks, but there, it's got to be ethical, right? Can we just say it's it's ethical journalism, right? It's striving to give information that's true and that's accurate and fair and that's thorough and well-researched, not just opinionated to satisfy your audience because you're afraid of losing ratings and you're afraid of uh, losing viewers to another network. That can't be what it's about. So you're right. I just think, am I frozen or is Van frozen? Okay. You were frozen. Thought, yeah. Okay. I don't know what you heard, but it can't be, it can't just be about those things. It's got to be about, I don't even remember what I was saying. I don't even remember what the last thing said. You're on your your shit. Oh, oh, I was saying, I was saying, no, I was saying it can't be about satisfying your viewers for ratings and for clicks and for possibly losing them to another network. The ethics is what's at issue. 
but I, you know, I want you to continue what you were saying. No, I agree with or the you. lack, um, the lack thereof. I should say the well, lack thereof. Well, you know, when I think about ethics and journalism, I think about my old shop. Your old shop? Yeah, my old shop. My old shop. My old shop. TMZ. Oh, oh, okay. <laughs> and a lot of people would uh, accuse TMZ of being unethical because of what ethics and journalism meant to those people. Meaning, mm -hmm. paying for video was a murky sort of ethical question for a lot of people. What does it mean if you buy video? What does it mean if you pay for an interview? Is that ethical? Is it ethical to give money for the truth? Mm -hmm. um, does that change people's uh, sort of reasons for talking to you, their motivations for speaking with you? Does that change things? And that's something that you have to think about, right? You know, Harvey was very, uh, very open about the fact that he pays for video, pays big money for video, you know, mm -hmm. depending on what it is. Um, Fox is, and there were also ethical questions, other ethical questions at TMZ. There were ethical questions about the slant on certain things. There were ethical questions about uh, the truth of certain things. There were ethical mm -hmm. questions about whether or not you should or should not be reporting on certain things. And when I say the truth about certain things, let me give you guys a little, a little, uh, little breakdown here. Breakdown here, just of, of something that happened. TMZ is often accused of lying about the death of Little Wayne, of having killed Little Wayne prior to Little Wayne, uh, prior to what people thought was was like a real death. Like TMZ killed Little Wayne, Little Wayne didn't really die. People think mm -hmm. TMZ lied on Little Wayne. Explain something to people real quick in case they don't know. Um, the story was 100% true. The story never said that Lil Wayne was going to die. What the story said was that, and I didn't work this story. I was doing the tour at this time. But what the story said was is that Lil Wayne was gravely ill and that someone was reading him his last rites or something to that effect. It was 10 years ago now but I remember that to be the thing. There was a source very close to Little Wayne that told somebody in our office that, that, hey, it doesn't look good, right? It doesn't, sources say it's almost out of here. You know what I'm saying? Mm. Before Prince died, there was a source that told us on a plane or told TMZ on a plane that he had to be administered a Narcan shot. Like they had to give him a shot yeah, of Narcan. Yeah. And it was hard for people to believe. It's like, why would Prince need Narcan? Prince didn't right. seem like the type of guy to have like a uh a, 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 um, a, a substance abuse problem, right? Anyhow, uh, when you have a source, if you source it and the source is good, the story is true. So if Brian tells me right now that you can't stop eating, that Rachel has turned the corner and all you want to do is eat sweets all day long. And it comes from Brian. If I'm a reporter and your husband says that, I can report source close to Rachel Lindsay says that she's eating everything in the motherfucking house. And she <laughs> can't stop eating. And even if you come out and say, hey, that's not true, the story is real because I Brian really said that. Yeah. So when I say a source says this, it's facts. 
I mean, it's facts that the source said it. It's not facts. Yes. Or if a source said that somebody was going to get, if Brian told me, if, if your mom told me that you and Brian were separated. Never going to happen. Never going to happen. Okay. But it's a good source. So these right. are all the type of ethical things that you can get into in the water of whether or not you should report that. Um, the, what type of material you should source, what type of material you shouldn't source, whether or not you should pay for video, even whether or not something is slanted the way you cook a headline, is it just clickbait? All of those things are, are, are actual things that are ethical that you can interrogate. Actually saying things that you do not believe. Right is a completely different ball of wax. Mm-hmm. And from the perspective of somebody that worked in a place that a lot of people, that, that always was fighting to be respected as actual journalism, what right. I can tell you is that that never happened to me. Mm-hmm. There was never anything that went up there that was not thought to be real at the time that it happened. Now, even if TMZ did do Donald Trump's dirty work, and they did, but they were reporting stories on behalf of somebody that they that Harvey thought that they were real stories, they would just help Trump. That was, that's a fact. But it's not like they didn't think that the stories were real. Mm-hmm. What Fox is doing right here, as far as my estimation of having looked at this, is unprecedented. It's, 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 this should be the biggest story <clears throat> in the world. Yeah. But the more telling Agreed. story is that people don't care. That is so insane that people don't care that this is all real, that Fox is a make-believe machine and that it won't affect in any way how people view Fox News. It, 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 it's wild to me because it's two-sided, right? Either people don't care because they're like, that's just Tucker Carlson. That's just Fox News. That's what they do. Or they don't care because they're not listening to people like us talk. They're not listening to the other side of it. They're just watching what they've been told. I mean, what they like to watch and what they've been watching forever. So they're not even privy to this type of information because Fox News isn't reporting it. And they're not seeking out that information because they're going to the network that's giving them the information of exactly what they want to hear. That's what's wild to me. But how can you, from the side of not caring and saying, oh, that's just Tucker Carlson and that's just Fox News, how can you say that when January 6th happened? We've seen people act on the lies of Fox News before. That's what I don't understand. How can you be so flippant about what Tucker Carlson and the Sean Hannity's and the other people who are the face of this network are doing when others have acted on it and you can't say that it won't happen? And for example, the video that's being shown, that's at issue, right? Tucker Carlson got all this 44,000 hours of video footage from Kevin McCarthy, and he puts together his own montage in this package of showing the peaceful side, and I use that with quotations, of that day on January 6th to show that there was an exaggeration. These people were actually peaceful as they were walking through the Capitol that day. It wasn't a riot. That video is now being used by 
the five, one of the five Proud Boys who's on trial right now for seditious conspiracy in connection with the riot is using this video. His lawyer filed something in court to use this video as evidence for their case to show that they were peaceful on that day. This is how problematic this is. It's expanding past what Tucker Carlson is saying, and it's being used in the courtroom as evidence when we know it's a bold-faced lie. Hmm. Hmm. Yeah, more people should be talking about this. This is it's bad. Yeah, we didn't even talk. We, it's already, we talked about the Oscars for like an hour before we even talked about it. It's a big deal. Russell Brand was on, um, was on Bill Maher. Uh, he compared it to MSNBC. Look, MSNBC, everybody gets things wrong at, wrong at times, especially when we talk about science. But it, Fox News is purposefully lying to the American public for money. Yeah. Um, the type of capture that Donald Trump has uh, has been able to accomplish over such a large portion of the American psyche, if it weren't so uh, scary, would be impressive. Like Trump never ever creates a winner. Everybody mm-hmm. next to him like loses, but they just can't stop. And now Fox News, you know, Fox defamation is hard to prove, but Fox News is in trouble here. They might actually have to pay up the a one point six Abele. You know, you don't it, 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 it looks has bad. to happen. It has to happen for reasons we said on a previous podcast. It just has to. The state of journalism is almost on trial as well here. It's got to happen. That it's a free-for-all. Before we get out of here, we have a fantastic interview with a guy who directed one of my top favorite documentaries of all time. His name is Sam Pollard. He directed MLK FBI, but he also has a brand new documentary out on the life of Bill Russell. Sam Pollard's going to join us on the other side of this break. This episode is brought to you by Jiffy Lube. Cars can be a big investment, so it's important to take care of them. I once got a car that I started out with 25,000 miles on. I got it to over 200,000 miles because I took care of it. You know how you take care of a car? You take care of the maintenance, the oil, the brakes, all that stuff. And if you don't, you can have a car just completely fall apart. When your car needs maintenance, head to Jiffy Lube. They provide automotive excellence at speed. Get your oil changed, brakes checked, tons of other multi-care services. It's all done by expertly trained technicians who actually care about taking care of you and your car. Jiffy Lube, car more. To find coupons and start an instant online estimate, visit JiffyLube.com. This episode is brought to you by Cars.com. When you add your car to your garage on Cars.com, you'll unlock access to real-time insights into how much your car is worth. Plus, View its historical and projected value to decide when to sell. So when the time is right, you can secure an instant offer from a local dealership or sell it yourself on cars.com. Start tracking your car's value with your garage on cars.com. All right, you guys, uh, we have a very important piece of, uh, of the culture, very important person in the culture, a very important person culturally um, on the podcast today. Uh, he's the creator of one of my favorite documentaries. I, 
I've told you guys on this podcast before how many times I've watched MLK FBI. I've watched it probably a half dozen times. And every time I watch it, I am floored by the insight and the bravery that it took to make it. And you know the bravery of some of the people that, that worked with Martin Luther King Jr. And, you know, the way that they talked very openly. Um, but also four little girls with uh, with with Spike Lee. Sammy Davis Jr. documentary and upcoming, he is doing uh, a documentary on Bill Russell, the late great Celtics legend um, who recently passed away. This gentleman's name is Sam Pollard, and he joins us today on Higher Learning. How are you doing, Sam? I'm pretty good, man. How are you? I'm doing fantastic. My first question for you, um, I'm going to ask you about MLK FBI a little bit later because I do have some questions about that because I love it so much. But Bill Russell, um, you have the last interview with Bill Russell. Yes, we do. My question to you is why is it important for uh, people, particularly younger people right now to care about Bill Russell? Well, I think it's important because if you look back on the history of the NBA, um, Bill Russell, along with Chamberlain, really set the template for what is today's NBA, the National Basketball Association. I mean, they brought, along with other people like Elgin Bill and Oscar Robertson, as Nelson George says, they brought the Black cultural aesthetic to the NBA, you know, which had before those two, those, those guys came into the game, an all-white game, you know. So they changed the whole dimension of the game. And we've seen that with the African-American experience in football, in music, in language, in clothing, everything. You know, our imprint is strong. And that's why I think it's important. The other reason it's important that people know about Bill Russell is because he was an athlete, an African-American athlete, who took very strong social and political stances, which was something that athletes didn't do, white or black, back then. So when you see a gentleman like Bill Russell at the March on Washington, when you see him go down to Jackson, Mississippi to support Charles Evers, when you see him involved in the Boston busing issues, when you see him along with, you know, the legendary Jim Brown, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, and Muhammad Ali at the at the uh, Cleveland summit, you know this was a man who put his money where his mouth is, was. You know, so he's, he's just a special, special, complicated human being. I don't know if this is just the way that I feel and I'm and I'm obviously curious to your thoughts but why do you think that people don't talk about the activist side as much about Bill Russell as they do with some of these other athlete activists? Well, I think it's generational. I think because it happened so long ago, you know, when you look at history and and most Americans don't have a a real sense of history, you know, they sort of are focused on today, you know, that, you know, that's why he's sort of, you know, been marginalized. And that was one of the important aspects of wanting to do this documentary series, these documentary films, to reacquaint, you know, America and the world with how important Bill Russell was, not only as an athlete, but as an activist off the court. And I think we've did our job. I mean, he was a special human being, very special man. You know, Bill Russell is from my same home state. I'm from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I th- he's from up in North Louisiana. He's Monroe. Monroe. Monroe, I think. Monroe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's funny because people would ask, 
uh, I would have conversations with people and they would say, well, I wonder how much of Bill Russell's activism uh, was based upon the fact that he was in Boston at the time. And obviously Boston has a reputation of not being a place that was incredibly progressive when it comes to, <laughs> to, uh, to civil rights or to black people. And yeah. I was like, man, you know, Bill from West Monroe, there was nothing that he saw in Boston that he didn't get back at the crib. Exactly. Uh, for you having spoken to him, what it's not like he was here that he moved out to California or he moved out to Chicago or someplace where there was, there was this liberal bastion. Do you feel the continuing specter of racism that was seemingly ever present around him was the thing that pushed him to be such an activist? Are we going to learn why he thought it was so important to be that uh, well, during his do. playing time? Yeah, you you do. I mean, you, you you're right. He's from Louisiana, you know, a bastion of racial segregation and terrorism. He goes to Oakland, which is also, you know, de facto racism and segregation. I mean, he was all around him. I mean, the thing that he had that was a very strong positive was he had a father and a grandfather who were very strong men who made him aware of what was going on and how he had to deal with it, you know, as a as a young man and then as an athlete. So he, you know, it was, the racism was everywhere. You know, he couldn't escape it. I mean, you and I know, even in the 21st century, we can't escape it, you know? Right. So he knew it was always there. And he knew that instead of sort of putting his head in the sand, he had to react to it. And that's, mm-hmm. you know, that's pretty special. I mean, you know, and I know a lot of athletes today don't want to, step out there you know and he was he was one of the first to do that you know if you compare him to another great player will chamberlain i was about to say you know yeah great basketball player but when it came to social activism (laughs) that wasn't wilt style at all Mm -hmm. that wasn't his approach you know and that was he was very different from bill you know you know so you've seen it you see it today with with the athletes who supported colin kaepernick or those who support lebron those who don't say anything I mean, one of our greatest athletes, and I'll say his name, Michael Jordan. Now the political bone in his body. Mm. Mm. <laughs> you know. Um, what? Oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. You go ahead, Rich. Go ahead. I, I was going to say, in doing this documentary, and I'm, I'm assuming you grew up watching, you know, Bill Russell, and you're a fan. Um, what did you learn about him that either took you by surprise, shocked you, that you didn't know before? Well, the, the, the biggest takeaway for me, because I did grow up in the 60s, so I was very aware of Bill Russell growing up, you know, and in my neighborhood, we would compare who was the better center. Was it Bill or was it Wilt, you know? Mm-hmm. And I mm-hmm. always went on the side of Bill Chamberlain. I mean, Bill Russell. Mm-hmm. Um, but what I did learn, you know, in, in doing the research and prepping for this film and doing interviews was, you know, from reading his memoirs, this guy was a very thoughtful, complicated man, you know? And that comes through when you're listening to Jeffrey Wright read these excerpts from his books and from his articles. And they think about one of the things that was really fascinating was here's a guy at the top of the food chain. He wins 11 champ- he wins his 11th championship against the Los Angeles Lakers in 1969. And instead of basking in the glory of that triumphant win, what does Bill Russell do? He decides to quit the Celtics. He decides to quit Boston, and he decides to walk out on his family and get, mm-hmm. the, get in his Lamborghini and drive all the way west, you know, to Los mm-hmm. Angeles, California. That's pretty amazing, you know. And uh, I, I, it had to cause a lot of 
conflict and tension on all levels, mm-hmm. both personal and professional. And I didn't know that about him until I got into this film. So that was a mm-hmm. that was a, a, a eye opener, Rachel, an eye opener. He also was a trailblazer as a coach. Yeah. Which many people don't know um, or don't talk about. It's one thing to be a guy out there grabbing 22 rebounds a game as a black player. The running and jumping has never been something that <laughs> they didn't realize we could do. But in terms of coaching the team and being as successful as what he was as a coach, uh, calling the plays, being a leader of men, uh, that was trailblazing in its, in its own right. Talk a little bit about that and what it meant for people to see uh, a black head coach in the city of Boston. Well, imagine this. Here's a guy who becomes the head coach of the Boston Celtics in the town of Boston where black people aren't exactly loved. And here's a time when you're being a player coach where you got to not only play your position, but you got to also deal with your other players, your other teammates as the coach now. Not just as the player, but as a coach, right. not just as the center, you know. And they didn't have these kinds of assistant coaches that they have to, in today's NBA. Bill had to do all of this stuff. I mean, it had to be tremendously, a tremendous amount of pressure on him. And you saw that, you know, the three years he was the coach of the Celtics, he lost the first season. He didn't He didn't make it to the championships, but then he was able to rebound and win the next two. And then he went on to be a coach at Seattle and also in Sacramento. So, listen, there's a certain level of intelligence that Bill Russell had that made him not only a great center, but made him a great coach. But he had to deal, you know, as the film says, even when he started to lead the Celtics to championships, you know, the many of the Boston fans, up until he retired, thought of Bob Cousy as the greatest Celtic of all time, mm. you know. But yeah. Bob Cousy says in the film, you know, very clearly, I was the man before Bill Russell came, but when he came and, and led us down that road to glory, he became the man. Mm. Bob, Bob Cousy knew who the man was, even mm. if the fans didn't, you know. Mm. So, you know, you, you know, most people think of athletes, you know, they used to think of athletes as just dumb jocks. But you know, and I know, to be an athlete, you got to be thinking. Absolutely, you got you got mm-hmm. you got to have a certain level of intellectual, an intellectual capacity to deal with plays and opposing teams and how to position yourself, position your players. So imagine he understood how to do that as a center. Then he had to understand to do it, understand how to do it not only as a center but as a coach. That's mm-hmm. amazing. That's really pretty is. amazing. Really yeah. is. Mm-hmm. Steph Curry um, says in the film, you know, he couldn't do that. I mean, he, he, coach. he can't be a coach. You know, he understands how complicated it is to be a player coach. You don't see any player coaches anymore in the, in the league. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you mentioned Steph Curry. How much fun did you have getting to do all these interviews and in, and talking to, you know, past and current players, talking to family members as well uh, and putting this together? Rachel, all I can tell you, <laughs> you could almost, if this was like, I, I, I should. I'll say this. You could have. You could have. You could have. I could have done this for free. It was so much fun. Mm. <laughs> Don't say yeah. that too loud, yeah. Sam. I know. I know. That's why. That's why I said this. But just, think about it. the first interviews we did was with Satch Sanders and Bob and Bob Cousy. Then we did Bill Bradley. We did Isaiah Thomas. Then we flew out west. We did Bill Walton. We did Jerry West. We did. We went Harry Edwards. 
Then mm. we did Bill Walton. We did Bill Walton. Then we did Magic Magic Johnson, Larry Bird. Then I went to Florida and did Oscar Robertson. Then mm. I came out west in San Francisco. I did Steph Curry. Then I flew down to L.A. and did Chris Paul. Man, okay, this is like this is, it's not work, man. This is this is fun. This was this was like wow, what what a great job, amazing. Um, so I want to ask you about something, man. When when you watch, I've I've talked about MLK FBI on this podcast so many times, right? Mm-hmm. And to the point to where when they said, "Hey, we're having Sam Pollard on," I'm like. Rachel, remember Rachel, remember my, my <laughs> yeah. I was like, yes, absolutely. Okay. It is to me an essential watch if you want to get a deeper understanding of Dr. King. And if you want to understand, if you want a deeper understanding of COINTELPRO and the specific uh efforts made to destabilize King's message and the civil rights movement as a whole. Okay. 2027 is coming up in four years. 2027 yeah. is the year that the, the F- that the FBI, that the, the tapes will be uh, released. released. The FBI will unseal all of the things that were talked about um, in the, the MLK FBI documentary. I do not want to ruin this documentary for anyone who hasn't seen it, but it is essentially about the FBI's efforts to end Dr. King and about the intelligence that they collected on Dr. King. Uh, while he was um, trying to change the world. For someone that has, that did the documentary, how worried are you um, about the unsealing of the information in 2027? The only thing I would say, man, is that if if the FBI will do their job, and from my perspective, in the right way, they won't edit what they're going to release. They will release everything. So we have an opportunity to hear all those conversations that Dr. King had, not just the one that's supposed to be litigious, you know, the ones that's supposed to be between him and another woman or other women or whatever. What I'm curious about is the conversations that he had with with Fred Shuttlesworth or Ralph Abernathy or Jesse Jackson about strategy, about what they were going to do on certain places like in Georgia or like this place or that place or in Memphis. I want to hear the strategies. I think that's what will be eye-opener. Now, will it, some people are concerned, will it, you know, delegitimize who Dr. King was? No way. Dr. King's reputation is cemented, man. He will go down as one of the greatest global figures in in world history. It'll never change. You know, you know, and I know a lot of people's lives are dug into and opened up and reinvestigated. And people say, oh, see this thing about JFK? Ooh, look at this about LBJ. Ooh, look at this about Dr. King. It will not change who he is and his reputation. It is cemented in stone, cemented in stone. And the thing that, one of the things that I always find fascinating when we were doing MLK FBI, and you talked about, you mentioned COINTELPRO. Now, when I was a younger man, I used to think COINTELPRO, they were after Angela. They were after Malcolm. They were after Fred Hampton. You know, they were after the Black Panthers. But think about it this way. William Sullivan, J. Edgar Hoover, 1956, 57, Mm -hmm. they were starting to try to figure out who Dr. King was. Because this minister, you know, from Montgomery, Alabama, who who became the head of you know, the Montgomery bus boycott was looked upon by these guys in the FBI as the most dangerous Negro in America. 
Abdel, who was a pacifist. Mm-hmm. He was a yeah. pacifist. Mm-hmm. The most they and, and and they even rationed it up after the march in Washington. They thought he was going to break open the gates, which he was. You know, and this goes to show you how deeply rooted America was back then and even today in this notion about what it means to be an American. Mm. You know, how dare Dr. King want to integrate, you know, restaurants, you know, public schools? How dare he? You know, how could this is outrageous? This is criminal. You know, this man is a he's got a major problem. We hear this time and time again in America. If you say defund the police, if you say black black lives matter, all of a sudden these become, you know, uh oh, uh oh, these people are trying to destroy America. They're communists, you know, they're leftists, they're the deep state. I mean, if we learned any, if I've learned anything in, in, in my 70-something years in America, is that, you know, listening to people like Trump, he's, 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 he's systemic racism is alive and well in America. Mm, absolutely. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, Richard, you have anything you a follow-up? Oh, I thought you had a follow-up. No. Um, I'm curious... You've done so many, you know, documentaries and Van uh, laid it out at the top of this of, on who you've done films on. Is there someone that you're interested in doing a film on documentary um, mm. that you feel like you don't know that much about, but you're really eager for you to learn more about and then for us to learn about? Is there someone that you have in mind that you really want to go after? There's a man named George Washington Williams who was around in the, in the 19th century, the late 1800s who was one of the first African-Americans to go to, to, go to the Congo and to mm. challenge what, you know, King Leopold was doing there mm. and destroying mm. black people's lives. Yeah. You know, it's a, it's a book that my wife and I found that was written by John Hope Franklin. And this guy, you got it. And there was another black man after him, William Shepard, who also went there, you know, from America to really Make America, make the world aware of what the what the what King Leopold was doing in the Congo. You guys, yeah, it's I, really I, interesting. I, I'm I'm glad he dropped that name, King Leopold of of Belgium. I need you guys all to uh, read up on him and give him his historical credit for being the right there. Give give him his historical credit uh, for being the madman that he was. Okay, so King Leopold of Belgium, everybody make sure you read up on him. You know, I'm obsessed right now with Granville Woods. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I'm obsessed with the life yeah. of Granville Woods. I'm obsessed yeah. with the life of an inventor that sued Thomas Edison twice and won Granville right. Woods, That's seven right. foot tall black inventor. He's amazing, the Black Edison. I'm obsessed. So if you ever get around to Granville Woods, uh, I would love to see that. If not, my company will just go ahead and we'll make a narrative <laughs> movie with him, Jonathan Majors. Uh, Granville Woods, I love it. Uh, look, I need you guys to do to to do the work. Uh, Bill Russell Legend premiered on Netflix back in February. Everyone, go check it out. It is uh, amazing. Bill's last interview: eleven-time champion as a player, two-time champion as a coach, trailblazer activists, all of that. Please go watch that. But watch it in tandem. Just go watch everything Sam ever did, okay? Watch uh, MLK FBI. All right. Watch it. I, I've told you guys several times to watch it. Please watch it. And of course, Four Little Girls. Yo, if my mom was on here right now, my mom would tell you the story of the first time 
that back in when before little girls dropped that we that that we watched it together. Mm-hmm. Just amazing yeah. work that you and Spike did. Just some uh, like uh, uh, amazing work, Sam. Just uh, all well, of Well, Van, I got just before you guys drop off. I got another film that's premiering this Sunday at South by Southwest. Give it to us. It's oh. called Max Roach, the Dremel Solo. Oh. And you know, one of the greatest drummers, activists also, mm-hmm. ever graced the music. Yeah. Now, I got to say something here that's going to be a little bit controversial. Yeah, what's that? Do you know who I learned who Max Roach was? It was, the Cosby, was, sh- it was the Cosby show. Oh, uh, that's, <laughs> that's true. Not controversial. It was on the Cosby show. <laughs> it was the Cosby show. Like, it's, right. it, it, I'm not, we're not going to get into the whole thing. Demon, crazy guy, bad. All of that. Yeah, he was on the Cosby show. Culturally, for what happened, I was a kid. Max Roach was on the Cosby show. I'm like, who is that? My mom is like, that's the greatest drummer that ever lived. It's Max Roach. That's how I learned who Max Roach was. I've never watched it. I don't know as much about him, but I I learned about him because he was on the Cosby show. All right. That's right. He was. Absolutely. So I can't wait to see that. Yeah. I can't wait to see that. Sam, thank you for always, yes, always thank you. Um, you guys. giving flowers to the people that we really, really need to have insight on. So that's Sam Pollard. The documentaries are Bill Russell Legend, MLK, FBI. Uh, what's the Sammy Davis Jr. doc? I haven't seen, brother. What's what's the name of that one? I've got to be me. Sammy Davis Jr. I've got to be me. Sammy Davis Jr. I've got to be me. Um, and... Max Roach, which the is drum premiered. also waltzes. The drum also waltzes. That's waltz waltzes. It's tough for me. That's all. That's <laughs> premiering this week. But they'll be able to probably see that. Like when you think, probably it'll be on American Masters in the fall. In the fall. Okay. Sam Pollard, thank you for joining us on Higher Learning. Take care, right. folks. Thank you. Take it easy. Bye. Bye. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. This episode is brought to you by Hotels.com. I was traveling internationally last year. I was in Mallorca. I didn't know the island well. I said, let me head to the north, head towards the water. Let me go on Hotels.com and see what they have available. Something preferably on the beach, maybe even a gym. Not only did I get those things, there was a kid's session with exercise, gymnastics in the water, pony rides, a train. It had everything, and I didn't even want any of those things. But at least I knew they were there, just in case I changed my mind. And now finding the perfect hotel has never been easier thanks to the Hotels.com app. Whether you're looking for a family-friendly, right, all-inclusive, or a relaxing spa weekend, you can find exactly what you need and compare hotel prices, ratings, and amenities side-by-side. So start planning your next getaway and find your perfect somewhere in the Hotels.com app. Sports Corner. Let's go. 
the John Moran photos, I don't even think it's worth talking about. No, that's so wrong. Like what, 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 what was he supposed to be doing in the strip club? Right. It's so inappropriate, though, that his privacy is violated. Why y'all, why y'all, why y'all snapping pictures? That's not. And that young woman. Okay. And that young woman, not just Ja. Sorry. She probably, she probably not. Say, hey, don't assume that. Don't assume that. Don't assume that. They should have put her Instagram on there. Stop. Don't assume that. Not everybody who's, not everybody who's a stripper wants that type of attention. I'm not saying that they, they want some type of attention. Or they just want, or they just are trying to provide. You have no idea each person's individual situations. I'm, I'm not saying. I'm not saying that. Look, I'm not saying it's bad to want attention, but I mean, you saw I, the Players Club. What about it? You think that Diamond would have had Diamond was? Out you there think stripping? Diamond would have? You think Diamond would have wanted her Instagram photo up there? No, Diamond was trying to Diamond make a way at out. The Players Club. Obviously, she's trying okay to with make a way. Know. I know. So <laughs> what? No matter why she do, obviously she's okay. That's for people, people inside the club paying for that. You can't get this out here for free. But what if? But let's go back to this. If you, what if Diamond? It got out that she was a big deal and then everybody wanted to come to the Players Club and spend money on Diamond. I'm sure she'd be okay with that. I wish they need to talk about it. Yeah, you, let's. Let's have a stripper on and see whether or not. I'm sure she'd have been like, hey man, tag me. <laughs> <laughs> some may have, some may, some right. may not. <laughs> um, report came out about Colin Kaepernick. Apparently, I mean, do we really need to get into this? I didn't. I wasn't sending this to you as a topic of conversation. Donna put it send, in the thing. I was sending it to you. Of oh, look at this. Don uh, Colin Kaepernick absolutely wants to play. He contacts all thirty-two NFL teams each year. In an interview with Adriana Diaz of CBS Morning, he says he absolutely still wants to play professional football and trains regularly. They and also then gave them nothing else in the interview. Gave them what? What do you mean gave them nothing else? Then she went on to say, well, you have this workout um, where the NFL, you know, had, had put together for you where you were going to come and then you chose to have your own workout. Why did you do that? And he said, you got to see the documentary. Exactly. And then, yeah, he has a documentary coming out. I don't know when, but he's a documentary. And then there was another question that was asked about um, his response to what was going on in 2020. Uh, seeing how everybody was reacting to it. I'm assuming her question was particular to those athletes, those in sports. And he said, you got to watch the documentary, which is why this is hard to talk about because, I mean, I didn't know that he contacted um, all uh, 32 teams every year. That was interesting to me. Well, that would be in the 32. I find that, I think that's interesting, but like, there's not really a lot to go from here. I'd love to watch the documentary and talk about it from there. I'm very curious as to what he has to say. What did you think about people getting on him because he said that his parents had some racism in them, even though uh, they adopted him and he was a black child and he had to deal with some racism from them. I think he's probably right. He's obviously right. And like, he grew up in that family. So mm-hmm. if he would know better than anybody that his parents, whether it was overt racism or, or covert, I know they had some biases. Like, they're not black, so it's only natural for them to have that. Absolutely, I believe him. You ever feel like the judge had some biases? Because he was like... Towards who? Po- towards y'all, because he was the police. My dad is not the police. He definitely the police. In a He's way. He's not the police. He is Your, your dad is law enforcement. 
Do you consider him that because he's a judge or because a lawyer or both? Well, so he's a lawyer. He's a he's a he's a he's the feds. He's the feds. He's the feds. Your dad is the feds. He's the feds. So what? Like but, your dad, your your dad knows some shit. I want to talk to him. Your dad, like your well, dad. You keep talking like that. He ain't gonna talk. Wait, to whoa! You. That's bad to say. It's bad to say that he's law enforcement. What was the question? No. What was the question you asked do you me? Feel like my dad he, do you feel like? Biases? Do you feel like he has any biases? Like, no, we ain't talked about the judge in a while. We haven't. And is and is this? You feel like there was any biases? Because I know my dad had biases. My, I think, my think, my dad. I think I'm gonna be honest with you. I think sometimes my dad had biases against black people. I'm going to be real with you. My dad was super pro-black, but there was certain shit I couldn't do. Like, I couldn't wear my hat backwards. I couldn't sag yeah, my I pants. Yeah, I think it's generational. I would say that's generational with, with, like with black parents. No, no, no. It, it is anti-black, but I think that that's a generational thing that maybe that was that trickles down from what their their parents did to them or, you know. I I don't know if my dad feels that way about it or not. You have to ask him. I'm not he gonna, judge, did he ever drug test y'all? No. Never not one he, time? No. I can see he that never, He never, I swear to God, he never drug tested He never drug tested you He guys? never was like, let me smell your breath if there's alcohol. Never. But honestly, I didn't do that in high school. I really didn't. I wasn't, do you, do you I think had that freedom been, to go out and do my thing. And, do you but think no, that I was never he'd have thought, Do you think that he would have ever drug tested y'all? That would be so funny. He comes in there. He comes in there humming, like a like a gospel song <laughs> with a cup. Here you go, Rach. What is this, Dad? Go in there and produce fluids. No, so that- <laughs> what does he always make himself like? <laughs> somebody, somebody from the eighteen hundreds. Because he was very, he was he's a judge and he's religious, so he speaks. It's making me. Question: I'm like, why he never did? I guess we he never should've. gave them any inclination that we were on anything else. They never asked us. I, my parents were never even asking me if I was having sex. Maybe they, they just didn't want to know. Probably didn't. no. They probably didn't. They probably, like who wants to? I, I feel like that's a do 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 parents actually jump on real quick. Yes, yes. Do parents ask young women that about? Do your did your parents ask you? Or you out here with guys yet that they ask you that type of stuff? Um, yeah, you know, to keep me in check to make sure that I like and my mom tries to make sure that I'm always doing what she wants me to do. So what does that yeah. mean? Like mm-hmm. now they ask you or or but or back in like in high school, were they asking you about I mean it wasn't like, like she you- was like too detailed about like what she wanted to hear but she was just making sure that I wasn't like getting too crazy getting too crazy like she's like what is I mean (laughs) Ashley spit it out we're like what what is what is it what is it what does it mean what is what's getting too crazy mean well you know she's just trying to make sure I'm a good Christian teenager growing up you know oh so she's like yo what was the name of your boyfriend in high school what was his name Brock I, I dated a guy for a bit. And his name was Jeremiah. Oh, uh, no. Hell no. <laughs> Biblical. Biblical. Nah. Nah. Yeah. Nah. Yeah. She was definitely trying to see because those be the ones that be up. And we, see, they always looking out for the Marcuses, right? 
and the Jalen's. <laughs> but it'd be the Jeremiah's that be trying to knock down the walls of Jericho. You know what I'm saying? They always, it always been, did you, <laughs> and so your mom, did your mom meet him? Did y'all, was she, was she friends with him? Absolutely not. No, she did not meet this, this boy. Why? Because he was annoying and I knew she was not going to like him very much. So if she didn't Wait, like he, him, then I was like, he, that's not going to happen. If he was annoying, why did you date him? Was he white? No, he's black. He was a basketball player. How That's tall? why I dated him. He was super tall. And my friends like liked tall? him a lot. Oh. Um, gosh, he had to be almost like, at least like close to seven foot. I don't know exactly. Wait, seven. what? Yeah, he was tall. Whoa. He was tall. <laughs> Jeremiah, what was his last name? I wonder where he went. Stop. <laughs> will, hold on. Hold he's on. not a basketball player anymore. I think well, then he like, must be. We got to get Jeremiah on here because if this nigga was like a footer, Dyer, jump on. <laughs> if this nigga was like a legit footer, he has to not be able to walk in a straight line. Not he to was have gone so to tall. It was so weird. He wasn't good at basketball either. I've had one of those. <laughs> I've had, I remember I was dating this guy in high school and I went to go see him play and I was shocked. That he sucked. I, I had now he wasn't he was probably like six four. I couldn't believe it. I had never seen <laughs> he was discombobulated in a way that I just can't even explain. I could have gone out there and played better than him. That's how I felt about Jeremiah. It was weird. It was because our whole basketball team, the guys were very, very bad at basketball. And so it just was like they barely knew how to dribble a ball. And it's just we're watching them and we're like, this is we're against our rival team. And you guys make us want to go to the other team and cheer them on. It's not I would have gone to the other team. Yeah, I was like, oh, man. Just uh, imagine having to feed somebody that's seven feet tall and they don't know how to play. <laughs> that's crazy. Like, get it's out the fit. house. Go feed yourself. Yeah, go feed I yourself. wonder what he's doing in life. I wonder what he's doing. He probably has a tough life. Yeah. I'll have to because check if Facebook. He's, if he's that tall and he can't hoop at all, wait, Wait, she didn't lost touch with this nigga. Wait, wait till we see this nigga <laughs> in the G, this nigga in the G League or something. He was like going to college to like, I think he studied English or something. I don't know. It was something completely out of box that I didn't it, even it's know. It's going to be so funny. It's going to be like, yeah. Like he's like you, NBA player. <laughs> what made you pick up the ball again? Well, you know, I had this girlfriend and she was just real, real mean about my game. <laughs> and so, this summer, I got with Hakeem Olajuwon. Okay, anyway, bye, Ashley. Bye. Um, <laughs> uh, all right, time for Is This Fucked Up? We have two. We could either do Tim's, Tim's Oscar Vale. No, you got to do the second one. You got to do the second one. <laughs> 25 <laughs> employees walk out after Pennsylvania restaurant owner names drink. <laughs> <laughs> Names drinks the Negro and the Caucasian. <laughs> According to the Gettysburg Times, at least 24 employees left when Donald Kaufman, owner of Mila Kitchen at, at Jack's Hard Cider, decided to serve oddly named cocktails in the theater that operates out of the same site. Many employees who expressed their f- frustration said that Hoffman wanted them to serve drinks with names <laughs> such as the Caucasian and the Negro. Myself and most of my coworkers walked out on Friday due to the owner and heads of production and Jack Sider pushing for some racist cocktail names for Emily K. Kessler on Facebook. An ally. Despite a days of effort, 
from upper management to halt this cocktail in shape. Friday comes, and it's time to reveal the weekend special. I made a formal complaint to upper management and notified them that if the name isn't changed, the staff is walking out. An email was sent to Donald explaining him of his re- of, of of our plan and his reaction was explosive. <laughs> Many of the other outraged employees made similar complaints on Facebook. We had issues with the owner, Jesus Christ, sexually harassing employees and wanting us to serve cocktails under racially insensitive names such as Caucasian, Redneck, and Negro. All right. Russian and Negro. Caucasian, Redneck, Russian. Caucasian, Redneck, Russian, and Negro. Okay. This is so funny to me. It's <laughs> not, but it's, it's like can you Negro imagine, and Caucasian. Can you imagine Donnie, going up and saying, I'll take two Negroes? Two I'll Negroes. Take two Negroes. <laughs> That's slavery shit. <laughs> Donnie, question yeah. Are you there? Right here. Um, what do you think goes in a Negro? I was, <laughs> I was contemplating this. Um, make that your question of a. That's that a good question. question. Uh, I mean, there's got to be some kind of. I would say a Hennessy or a Crown Royal, maybe Crown Royal. Okay. Um, and uh, I don't know what the garnish would be. I don't know. I'm not a, a mixologist. I don't know exactly what would make a good drink, but Crown has to be, I think, some kind of cognac or Crown or Hennessy as uh, the base liquor. What would be in a Caucasian? Oh, shit. Okay. It's so this, vodka. So this is this these are my two. This is this is the Negro and a Caucasian to me. The Caucasian is vodka, milk. Okay. What kind um, of drink is this? This is what it is. This is Caucasian. Vodka, whole milk. All right. You garnish it with just a little bit of chicken boiled. On the on the on the glass, you don't put nothing on it. Uh, and you need something else in there. That's it for the Caucasian. This is what's in the Negro. This is a great drink. You got Hennessy mm-hmm. mixed with red Kool Aid. Okay. This that does sound great. good. It sounds good. Think about it. Hennessy mixed with red Kool-Aid. You garnish it. Hmm. With a watermelon. Boom. Hennessy, red Kool-Aid, garnish it with the watermelon. We got to come back to this Caucasian. What else could be in it? Vodka and milk. Got to have whole milk in it because white people are the only ones that are still keeping the whole milk industry alive. Some kind of pumpkin spice. Okay, cool. Oh, that's a good you one. Do, you do pumpkin spice milk. All right. You put, you do pumpkin spice milk in the Caucasian. Keep going. What else do white people like? What do they like? They like to put raisins and weird stuff. Oh! <laughs> Sprinkle some raisins in there. Okay. All right. Like, keep it going. Rachel, what do all your friends like to drink? Stop. <laughs> what, what, like, what are, like, what are they? What, I mean, what? doesn't this drink have enough at this Mm-mm. point? Nah, they just like to throw you shit put in. Put something it. around the rim. Something like can go around the rim. I don't know. That's like what I think. Like what do you put around the rim? Like a little noose? 
Maybe we put like a cotton candy. Oh, but shouldn't that be in the... Wait, we're getting confused. What if, so does the cotton candy cotton, go in the Negro or the Maybe Caucasian? it's a top... It, it goes in it. No, no, no. Uh, See, which one would you put? See what oh, I'm saying? Oh, shit. Well, this is a cotton candy because they don't know nothing about no motherfucking cotton. We okay, use the we cotton put it, we, move, we move it back to the Negro. Mm-hmm. Back to... We're going to put cotton in the Negro? Okay, we're going for it. Fuck it. We put, we put <laughs> cotton in cotton. the... Fuck it. Candy. Little cotton, cotton candy on there. See, that's better. That's the garnish. Little cotton candy on the Negro. Right? Emphasis on the cotton. Okay, we got okay. raisins, milk. I mean, raisins, I know this milk, sounds disgusting, spice. but maybe maybe what you put around the edge if we're going with milk, a little mayo. Oh, that's it. So this is what we do. This is what the Caucasian is. It's a mayo, milk. See, when we come together, guys, it's a mayo, milk, and pumpkin spice infused vodka drink. You forgot the raisins. With the raisins. You put the raisins in there. Garnish like the raisins just, you know, sprinkled yeah. on top. And for all of you guys wondering, that drink tastes just like we felt having to deal with the bullshit. <laughs> 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 uh. Um, all right. Uh, you know, it's over. Uh, by the way, I would like to announce something. Van's very serious question of the week is is done. It's no more. Uh, <laughs> what? Just say, I'm not doing it anymore. Just say mm-hmm. you we came up with a question. What would you put in how would you make your Negro? <laughs> and how would you how make, would you make your your Caucasian? Yeah, but it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta die. We're, we're like we're gonna take a hard look at segments. Um and we'll 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 make a decision about them. And we need we, we we I think we need some new segments. I think we need one segment we can do is a Ashley story because Ashley's story was great about the seven foot nigga who Jeremiah. And people want to get to know Ashley. I like that. People love Ashley. You know what I'm saying? People think Ashley's great. I'd like to. They in, do. Oh, sorry. Keep going. Yes, Ashley. People like you. Yeah. Yeah. You're you're a mystery. You know what I'm saying? Like you're a you're a mystery right now to a lot of people because they feel like they want to know more about you, but at the same time they're bored by you. <laughs> <laughs> you know. Yeah, that's fair. All right, I like to say I like to dedicate this episode of Higher Learn to my uncle David and to his memory. You know, mm-hmm. I also want to tell my mother and my grandmother to be strong and that I love you guys. And that part of what I'll do and what I'll endeavor to do, despite my earlier comments on Angela Bassett and the Oscars, is to make a world where you don't have to absorb so many body blows. All right. So rest in peace, Uncle David. Take your thing caps off, but do not stop learning. I am Van Lathan Jr. And I'm Rachel Lynn Lindsay. Bye, guys.